Good morning. My name is J.D., one of the pastors here. So thankful that you are here with us this morning um, in this gathering of Pillar Church here in uh, Jacksonville. Most of you know we are working through the book of Hebrews, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Uh, yeah, if you have kids that are ages kindergarten to third that would like to go to Pillar Kids, they are dismissed. Sorry for my ineptitude in that. So I've been walking through the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews. It is before the book of James, uh, towards the end of the New Testament. And while you're turning there, um, I have lived most of my life below the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, if you've lived any time below the Mason-Dixon line, which is also called the what? South, right? You know that we have some interesting southern slang. Like, we just don't respond to things with simple answers. Like, we, get to, we like to respond with some southern slang. And uh, if my wife was in here, we'd say southern twang. Uh, and so, uh, you might ask, somebody might ask you the question, hey, how are things going? And it's, I'm busy. Matter of fact, I'm so busy I'm busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. That's how we would respond, right? Like, not just busy, but I want to give you a descriptive answer, right? Or they might ask you, hey, how's life? How are, how are things going? You say, man, I'm so poor that I can't even afford to pay attention. Like, life's hard. Life's tough. We say things like, instead of saying things like we're off to a slow start, which is what normal people would say, we say we're off like a herd of turtles, all right? One of my favorites uh, that I don't know where it came from, I don't know how it originated, but it's one that I've used actually quite a bit because my mom was a really good cook. You would eat some food and you would say, man, this is so good it makes me want to slap my mama, right? You ever heard that one? Where did that come from? That I enjoy her food so much that I just want to smack her around, like, uh, it's, that's, uh, that's not what we're about. But man, just food's so good. Uh, here's another one. And uh, this is not necessarily one that's, uh, uh, that's seen in a... It's not necessarily a term that we would see as derogatory, but usually it's used that way. You ever heard somebody say, well, bless your heart? You ever heard that? Yeah. Usually it's with an eye roll afterwards. You ever seen that? Well, bless your heart. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so for, uh, here's one that I, wanna, I want us to kind of platform off of. It's this, I'm about to lose my religion. Ever heard that? You're about to make me lose my religion. What does that, what does that mean? It means that I'm about to get really upset. I'm about to get really angry. I'm about to reach the end of my rope. I am full of exasperation. I am... Uh, I, I, things are about to go sideways. It means, this saying is, uh, I'm on the brink of desperation, and my patience is pretty much done. And so there's theme that kind of runs through Hebrews 3, in the first part of chapter 4, that reminds us that we, if we are not careful, that we will convince ourselves that we are of a certain religion, for us it's Christianity, that we are in the faith. We will convince ourselves that we are in the faith. 
we are convinced ourselves that we are followers of Jesus Christ, yet our lives will not show anything of it. And that's the danger that we find ourselves in. That's the danger that Hebrews 3 and first part of chapter 4 reminds us of. That if we are not careful in our confession, that our confession is no confession at all. So let's look at Hebrews 3. Here's the trajectory of where we're going, the overview of where we're going. That we would consider the faithfulness of Jesus and enter into His rest, lest we will remain in disobedience. Consider the faithfulness of Jesus and enter into His rest, lest or else you will remain in disobedience. One of the things we want to do this morning as we read this, we want to be reminded that for us, for the original audience, and for us that there was hearing this letter, that we would consider the supremacy of Christ as greater than anything else in this world or anything in this world has to offer. That we would consider Christ, the supremacy of Christ, greater than anything else this world has to offer. And I think you can catch that right from the beginning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On that day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For those who heard and yet rebelled, was it Not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of 
promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. May it pierce our hearts. May it penetrate deeply into the depths of our souls. That we would hear your word being spoken here. In the book of Hebrews, to this people, to this time in this place, and to us in this place today. Lord, would you use it, your word, to transform us, to help us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and, and to reprove us. Lord, may it also be instruction for us. May it be a guide to us as we consider what it says to us this morning. Lord, I pray this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. First thing that we see here in verses 1 through the first part of 6 is this, consider Jesus who is greater. Consider Jesus who is greater. From the very beginning, we learn who the audience is. We learn that therefore, holy brothers and sisters, he is talking to the people of God. He is talking to the Christians that are, uh, that are in this time, in this day, and who share in a heavenly calling. These are Christians who are set apart from the rest of the world, who share in a heavenly calling, and he instructs him to do one thing. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. That will be the theme. You see, it's the title of our sermon today. It will also be the theme of how we work together through this, through this, this section of Scripture that we would consider Jesus as not only our, our, um, as this ethereal thing out there that we must get to, but as King of kings 
and Lord of Lords and of Savior and King. He is the Apostle. He is the one who was sent down from heaven to come and to live in this world. That's what it means. He is sent from heaven to live here and high priest. That means he's the intercessor between God and man. So the, the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us, as you consider Jesus, can consider that he was sent down from heaven to, to live in this world, uh, to live a life that you could never live. We could never live a perfect life. We could never be our own savior because we are so imperfect, right? Because we are so depraved by our sin, but Jesus was not. He was sent down from heaven into this world, and he is the intercessor of our confession. He's the high priest of our confession, of what we believe. And he was faithful to God who sent him. But the believers in this day, they would say, what about prophets? And as we've already seen in chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews, what about angels? And so as we get into chapter 3, we're going to have the question of, what about Moses? I mean, think about how faithful Moses was, guys. Like, that's what they're saying. I know you're preaching to us about this new Jesus. What about this patriarch Moses? What about this patriarch Abraham? What about all these guys that come before Jesus? And what we see here is that they were just a picture. They were just a foreshadowing. They were just a setting the stage for what was to come, which is Christ. So Moses, he says in verse 2, Moses was faithful to God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more glory than the house itself. Listen, to the, to the audience, that this is, the original audience this is going to, this would have been shocking. So you're saying that, that Jesus is greater than the angels that Jesus is greater than Moses. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes. Not only greater, he's supreme over all things. So we see the builder of all things is God, not Moses. Yeah, Moses was faithful, verse 5. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. We get it. To testify that to the things that were spoken later. See, Moses' life was a testimony to something that was going to come later. And that was going to be greater and far more supreme than they could ever imagine. And we could ever imagine. And it was Christ himself. Moses was a picture. He was pointing towards the one who would come. He would be testifying to the things that were spoken of later to the house that would be built, to the temple that would be built, but also to Christ who would come. But Christ, listen, verse 6, is faithful over God's house as a son. You see, there was a propensity. Propensity for these Jewish believers to go back to what was comfortable. To go back to their prior religion. To go back and to, and, and to, to get caught back.
troubles and trials and tribulations that you feel in this world. That he is greater than all of those things as an apostle, as a high priest, as the king of kings, and as the Lord of lords. Jesus is greater. And until in your life you come to that realization that Jesus is greater, you will always have one foot in and one foot out. Because you'll always be prone to run back to what is comfortable. To run back to what I know, to what I, what, what I see as easy. He doesn't say that. Listen, he says, Christ is faithful over God's house. And then as believers, as Christians, what are we? We are his house. The church is not a building. This building is not a church. It's great that we have a building that covers our heads when it's a little chilly outside or when there's a little bit of rain. This building serves as a purpose as for you to sit in it, to gather together as a people of God, as the household of faith. That we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, Peter says. Or Paul talking to the church of Ephesus, that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That means built on the foundation of the word. And then Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You get this. That's what it means to be the house of God. The Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are His temple. And those that are gathered together, we are a dwelling place. Building one another up in the most holy faith. You are His house. Christ is faithful over His house. Therefore, Christ is the supreme treasure of our lives. It's important for us to understand this. That if this is true, that if we are a house, if we are His house, if we are His people being built up into a dwelling place, huge implications for our lives. I mean, huge implications for how we act towards one another, how we love one another, how we encourage and exhort one another. So I want to, I know that there are some here that attending church has not always been your priority. That you see the household of God has not or even now does not seem all that important. Maybe you're here this morning as, uh, and you're looking for a church home. You've been doing a little church shopping. Uh, church has not been really a priority. The truth is, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. Like, there's people all over Jacksonville this morning visiting churches that have been visiting churches for years. I just want to encourage you. Those who do not see the household of God or the family of faith as vital, I want to encourage you that you would feel the urgency 
of joining a household of God. Commit yourself to that family. Link together with other Christians who are in the same household of faith. And as you do this, the body of Christ will help remind you that Jesus is greater than anything else in this world. You cannot, there, are, there is no such thing as a Christian who is an orphan. Right? There's no such thing as a, uh, as a lone ranger Christian. You've heard that terminology maybe. I can make this on my own. I don't need God's church. I don't need the household of God. I'm telling you, the way that the Hebrews writer writes this, you can't make it without it. It's almost impossible. I would probably say it. Impossible. To be outside of a church. To be outside of the preached word. To be outside of other believers who care for you, love you, and want to see you be, uh, grow in holiness and godliness and, be, and share in the heavenly calling together. You would join a body. That you would unite yourself with that body. That you would grow up with that body in the most holy faith. I mean, guys, listen. If Jesus, Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and what? Stature. And if the Son of God had to grow in wisdom and stature, how much more do we? Yet we neglect. We neglect his word. We neglect adding together. Hebrews is going to get into in chapter 10, so I won't spend much time here. We are prone to neglect even the most simplest thing of gathering on Sundays. Yet, make it a priority. If you're a member here, make it a priority to be here on Sundays. Make it a priority to worship with the household of faith. To gather together with the people here. To get to know them and them to get to know you. Because in it, there's transparency. There's also life-giving. Life-giving purpose and work that is in my life when I greet, when I meet with other people of the household of faith. And I hope you feel that. I hope you feel the challenge of that. Honestly, I hope you feel the hardness of that. The difficulty in that. As we'll learn as we get to the end, we're naked, naked and exposed anyway before God. What does it matter? What does it matter that we lay our hearts out and confess our sins? One of the things we do in the elder room, every single time we gather together, every time once a month that we gather together, is we lay our confessions on the table. And what a way to start an elder meeting, right? Never like anybody thinks it is. And they must be good, go into the elder meet and they make all these big decisions and all these big things. No, the first thing we do is we confess our sins one to another. And then we talk about where we're neglecting our, our spiritual lives, where we're not reading the Bible. What's the discipline that we're struggling in? What's something that we're dealing with? How much more do we need that as a church? We would be this way, that we would, that as Christ is faithful over the church, that we are his house. Therefore, we must be set apart, holy, blameless in his sight. First point, consider Jesus as greater. Because we consider Jesus as greater, we want to do this. We desire to do this. And if you don't desire to do this, then here's what we'll see. Consider Jesus as you confidently hold fast. Consider Jesus as you confidently hold fast. We are his house, 6B. If indeed 
we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Then he goes on to expose and expand on Psalm 95. Therefore, because of this, today, if you hear his voice from Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They know not my ways. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Why in the world would he all of a sudden go there? Why does he point back to Psalm 95, which Psalm 95 points back to the what? The Exodus. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Why? Because we must hold fast. We must remain. We must hold to the true faith. Psalm 95 is a warning. Hebrews 3 and 4 is a warning to us. I hope you hear it as a warning because we are prone. Listen, if, you, if you're here this morning as a Christian, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you in this room are, your propensity is to hear this and go, you know what, I'm a Christian. That's a warning. I don't need to know it. I want you to tell me. Listen to it. Hear it. Because in this is a check. It's a warning that you would test your own heart because he goes on to say in verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, take care lest there be any evil in you. An unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's the warning. If you don't take care of of your brothers and sisters, you can't do this by yourself, right? Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, evil heart leading you to fall away. But do what? Exhort one another every day. But exhort one another, encourage one another every day. You can't do this by yourself. We must be a household of faith together. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you this week, how many of you just this week, were prone to the deceitfulness of sin? Every hand should go up. There was none of you that are absent from the deceitfulness of sin. It lay at our doorstep. Right? However, it's what you do with that sin. For we have come to share in Christ together. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Instead, today if you hear his voice, he goes on to expand on Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? That's a good question. It's a good rhetorical question. You want to know who those were who, who rebelled against God? They were the same ones that God led out of the Exodus. They are the same 
people that God fed with manna and water who, and who opened the sea wide so they could walk through it and then drowned all the ones that were pursuing them. It's the same God who led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. His presence was ever clear. It was ever ready. And yet it was the same people who rebelled against God. Don't think that it won't be you. Don't think that it can't be you. Because we're prone. We are prone to, to, to go after the sins of this world. We are prone to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if we let sin fester in our life, and we let sin take a hold of our lives, we will continue in this disobedience and deceitfulness. I just want to encourage us that you would exhort one another. You would encourage one another to take care of each other. Help each other walk in this faith. I need you, church. I need you. I can't do it without you. And in some ways, you need me. Right? In some ways. I just want to tell you, one of the, one of the, as an application here, I just want to, I mean, one of the benefits of being a member of the household of faith or the local church is the ability to shepherd one another. The privilege that we have to shepherd one another, to exhort one another every day as the day is called today that you would do it. It's not a one-time event that happens on Sunday. You come together on Sundays, everybody's high-fiving, everybody's good, and by 12, 15, all of you are in the parking lot and you're out the door, right? It's usually the way it works, I get it. But it's something that we need to do in our lives, in each other's lives, every single day. Day. That's what he's saying here. You know, this requires some intentionality, does it not? We live in this super high-tech world where I can reach out to a brother of mine in Indonesia and I can send him a text anytime that I desire. And for me, it's the middle of the day. For him, it's the middle of the night. He'll see it when he gets in the morning. But I can send a text right now and he'll receive it right now. That's amazing, right? It's amazing what technology has given to us. Yet our society has never been more isolated. Our society has never been more singularized. You do your thing, and I'll go and do mine. Right? We live in this high-tech world, and yet we're still isolated. I just want us to remind us that we would take care, brothers and sisters, to help one of those strive towards holiness. Strive towards this thing as we share Christ with one another. That you would remind other believers in this room the joyous good news of Christ Jesus. That you would remind them that they're prone towards sin, but you can also remind them of the grace found in Jesus Christ. I don't know where I'm at. Man, gosh. I'm about halfway through my sermon. I think I'm about halfway through my time, or about 45 minutes through my time. So I'll try to move quickly. Guys, I just want to encourage you to consider two to three people, two to three people every day. You can just reach out to. You can just ask the question, how's it going today? How can I pray for you today? How can I encourage you? you today. Maybe you just send them a verse. 
And I believe this accomplishes two things. Number one, it gets us outside of our bubble. It gets us outside of our isolated bubble, right? Because we live inside of this bubble that we just really feel comfortable and good in. But just encouraging other people just gets us out of our bubble. Second thing it does is it allows us to stop and pray. It allows us to stop and pray. How many of you are, get so busy that you forget to stop and pray? That's me. I do. As you think about this, let's move into our third consideration. Consider Jesus and enter into his rest. Consider Jesus and enter into his rest. Look at verse 19 before we go to chapter 4, verse 1. So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. They saw the presence of God. They saw God work in a mighty way. All these things were before their eyes, right? In so being, they did not believe. But, therefore, the promise still stands. Entering his rest. So let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message that they heard did not benefit them. Does this message of Christ Jesus and who he is benefit you? Is it a benefit to you? Or are you thinking right now, man, I wish you would wrap it up because I'm really hungry and I'm ready for lunch. Listen, the promise of entering his rest has eternal implications. That's what he's getting at here. That as you enter into his rest, you enter into an eternal rest. For we, verse 3 in chapter 4, who have have believed, we enter that rest. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from his works. That's from Genesis chapter 2. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of what? Disobedience, unbelief. promise of eternity stands from the promise of old. That God, in His kindness and His goodness, even though man has sinned and rebelled against Him, that even as He removed man from the garden, He made a promise. He made a promise that He would send a Savior. A Savior that would crush the head of Satan. A Savior that would take on that sin upon Himself. And He would come into this world as His Son. And as God Himself in the flesh. And He would live a life that you and I could never live. A perfect, holy, righteous life. He would go through the same temptations that we go through. He would go through the same 
kind of sinful desires that we go through, yet never sinned in the least. And then he died a death that you and I deserved. He took on the weight of our punishment and sin. He got nails in his hand and his feet. Went on a cross that we deserve to go on. But Christ bared the weight of our sin. And he calls us to enter into that rest. To believe, to not let unbelief, disobedience reign, but to believe and to walk in that faith. We enter into that rest. Not only is it an eternal rest that he has in perspective here, look at verse 9. He also calls us to rest from our works. How many of you, when somebody asks you how it's going, man, things are good but busy? Is that your thing? That's mine. Life is just busy. I know that every one of you in here are busy. You, it's just hard to live in this world in the day and age we live in to not be busy. To not be occupied with all these things in life. Whether it's school or work or the hardest job of all being a stay-at-home mom to one, two, five kids. I don't know how many I had. I get it. You need to rest. You need to not only rest in Christ, but you need to rest your body and your soul. You need to take some time to be still and know that I am God. Do you do that? You take that time each week. Just rest. Take a day. You actually set it aside and set it aside to rest. And if the God of heaven gave us an example, he didn't need to rest because he wasn't tired. He rested as a demonstration to you and I that we need to rest from our works just busy. Like, enter into his rest of eternity. and In so doing, rest and be still and know that he is God. Did you catch in the first nine chapters, we all get Psalm 4610, right? You've heard that one. If you're a Christian for any length of time, you know it, be still and know that I'm God. You get that. Did you read the first nine chapters? It's turmoil. It's strife. There is rage among the nations. There is war. God says in the midst of all that busyness and all that craziness of life, you would be still. And yet, I find myself like, it's hard to be still. But we need a steady rhythm of quiet, Sabbath, of resting. I know that there are different ebbs and flows of our lives. I'm not strictly a Sabbatarian, meaning I don't observe the Sabbath from 5 p.m. on Friday evening to 5 p.m. on Saturday evening. I'm not a strict Sabbatarian. But man, I try to be, I try. I don't succeed always, but I do try to make sure that there are times during the week where I rest. I get in a good rhythm where I have a day where I just set aside to rest. And believe it or not, it's harder than you might imagine even the freedom that I have to set aside a day to rest. How much more so for y'all who who are governed by kids, governed by command, governed by the things of this world, by teachers if you're in school. Where do I find rest? It's there. It's a discipline. It takes effort. 
Look at verse 11. It takes effort. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Perseverance here. There's endurance that he's talking about here. That you would toll and strive to enter that rest. It takes effort. It's not easy, guys. It's not easy to get into the Word. It's not easy to, to set aside time to pray. It's not easy to set aside time to be still and know that I'm God. Yet he calls us to strive for that rest. The last consideration. Consider Jesus as you are transformed by the word. Consider Jesus as you are transformed by the word. John Frame says this, when we encounter the word of God, we encounter God. His word indeed is his his personal presence. Whenever God's word is spoken, read, or heard, God himself is there. All right, how do we know that? Well, we can get it from uh, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I don't know about you, but that's scary. Be naked and exposed before anybody? God knows every intention of my heart. Man. I don't know about you, but my heart sometimes can be wicked. Right? Prone to sin, prone to wander, prone to all sorts of craziness. But as I read his word, knowing that it's living and active, knowing that it's sharper, piercing through uh, uh, the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, more that I read it, the more that I am drawn to God, knowing that He is greater and that He is more supreme and more um, deserving of my affection and, and more glorious than I could ever imagine. Because the Word of God is living, it is active, it works in your heart to change you and transform you. We have more access to Bibles than we've ever had. They're on our phones, they're on our devices. And yet, if I took a straw poll, most of us aren't reading it. Guys, if you want to know where you stand in the presence of the Lord, read His Word. Read His Word. As you read his word, consider Jesus. Is he? Question that we have here. Is he kind of a crutch that I lean on in my time of need? Or is he my Lord and my Savior? And I fall on my knees before him. That's the question for us this morning as we think about this. As we think about the Israelites and they're, and they're seeing the presence of God and they're crying out to God, you see, what they wanted was God the rescuer, but not God the one who deserved my, my worthiness and my worth and my worship. You get that? See, I just wanted God for my rescue. I just wanted God to be there for me, to take me out of this, uh, out of this oppression. 
I just wanted him to rescue from my trial and my tribulation. But I don't want him as Lord. It's asking too much. See, when things get hard, we, like the people here of the audience, are prone to go back to what's comfortable. We're prone to run back to the former things we love. We don't want to honor God with our lives, yet we want Him to honor us with His. You see, they desired the freedom from slavery, but not the freedom from knowing God and trusting in Him daily. Is that you? You see, that was a bridge too far, an ask, and a bridge too big to get, a, get across for the Israelites. I appreciated God as rescuer. I don't appreciate him as God as king. That's the warning here. The warning that's before us. Do you enter into his eternal rest? Or do you just appreciate all the things that he can give you? I pray that you would Heed this warning. You would consider Jesus this week. Is he the supreme treasure of my life? Or is he just something that's along the way that I have to get into my life? That's the question that's before us. Father in heaven, I pray that you would, through your word, expose our hearts that you would see the true intentions of, of, of what we are and who we are, that, number one, you would see Christ in us. Lord, I know you've called us to perseverance. But, Lord, there are some in this room have, who have deceived themselves. They honor you with their lips, but their heart is far from you. But I pray that you would, they would consider the works of Christ Jesus and not their own. Pray that they would believe by faith, trust in the apostle, the one true apostle that was sent, and the great high priest that, that mends this chasm between us and God. Help us to believe this good news. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.